But now we don't have any value. Here's your death sentence. Uh, okay, news. Um, James Kahn, RIP. That, that sucked. Mm. It's great actor. Um, it's Flying Ant Day. Is it, it Flying Ant? It is Flying Ant Day. There were, yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I love to see Flying Ant Day because you love to see a king or many, many kings succeed. Like well, go out into the world, try and find like a it's not, girl. It's queens succeeding. Oh, no, I guess it is. Yeah. yeah I, it's I, I, I thought the Flying Ants were the male ants and I like going to, to like find a, a lady ant to make a colony with. Or well, maybe maybe, maybe maybe we're making a mistake, sort of assigning them genders because they're just sort of. Uh... No, no, no. Well, I mean, like drone, like worker ants are basically genderless. But I, I figured the it, like the there's a queen who is a lady ant, and there's the uh, flying ants, and they're the boy ants, and they go and find a queen ant and make. Why? Why is the the queen ant a lady ant though? What? Why is that? B- well, I mean, like, okay. I, I don't want to go into the whole gender thing, but like, biologically, biologically, she's she would be female. I don't, I don't, I don't agree because it's an anyway. Sorry, <laughs> it's an ant, you know. Ants like, don't dogs could be girls. Yeah, but ants are different. You know that that's a completely different. Uh... Ants just have a different construction of gender. Surely, I don't know. The, I would say this is somewhat relevant. But maybe it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Okay. So, but uh, yeah, apart apart from those two things, I think, yeah, no news. Um, so, yeah, we're here with Alison Rumfit. You may know her. You may know her from uh, a, a little book called Tell Me I'm Worthless, which I personally thought was the best book I read last year. Uh, and yeah, just amazing. Go back and listen to the episode on that because, um, yeah, it's just a brilliant, brilliant book. My God. And um, I noticed her tweeting about uh, Otesha Mosfeg, um, who you know people have opinions on. I, I think we could say that. Yeah, there's a lot of um, a lot of takes out there. Stuff floating around online about yeah. her. Um, yeah. It dies down, and then and then it flares back up. Sometimes when she has something new out, and then sometimes just sort of randomly. Yeah, she's she's one of these people that people have takes on rather than opinions. Similar and... to, to Sally Rooney, actually. Oh. oh yeah, yeah, probably one of the two authors. Obviously, less so than Sally Rooney. She's like less mainstream, but one of the two authors, and unsurprisingly, both young women who just generate takes rather than opinions, and definitely rather than like criticism or critique or intelligent thoughts. People just kind of want to have their hundred and forty characters about. Uh, Rooney and Moshveg, rather than think about this stuff. It, it, prime example being that whole Shrek thing. I mean, what the fuck? That's that's below yeah, that's, anyone to write. To come I on. think, in particular, responses to this book because I read it. Um, I read a proof. Um, so I read it uh, a couple months before it was released, um, and I read it and I thought that's pretty good. There's some interesting stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember thinking, oh, I'd be interested to see um, what disabled critics have to say about this book because it's trying to engage in that and I'd be interested to see what their side is. Um, and then when the book actually got released, I didn't see any of that, but I saw a whole lot of um, takes by people who, if they'd read the book, they'd clearly gone in 
having already made up their mind or at least least, Mm. even if they hadn't gone in deciding to hate it i think when it became clear what the book was they probably decided that they hated it um which is a pity because it's a really interesting book it's um trying to do a lot of things that are quite different from uh you wouldn't expect from someone who'd who's had you know a couple a couple big books and then obviously since uh, rest and relaxation coming out um it's ballooned in popularity in lots of different ways you know it's gone huge on tiktok and stuff like that mm. um we, we could maybe talk about tiktok and um book talk oh, yeah. influence on the industry <laughs> yeah um there's a lot to sort of analyze that but let's just set this in context so Atesha Mosfeg uh, has only had four novels so far a collection called a collection of stories called Homesick for Another World a couple of novellas a bunch of short stories a few essays one called How to Shit um, and so Eileen came out in 2015 wasn't a major thing didn't make any big waves um, so I haven't read it it's probably pretty good she um, then my year of rest and relaxation comes out, and yeah, that becomes a whole fucking thing. Um, I I don't know if it was if it was fully like a product of the um, pandemic because it came out in twenty eighteen. Yeah, and I I heard about it at the time, and people were talking about it and, re- and reading it, and it was a thing. But I I get the impression that in the pandemic it became it went viral kind of it like it went beyond the people who usually just read literary fiction. Yeah. I would, I think uh, a couple of different things converged. Um, You know, it was sort of situated. It was put into a context, which it hadn't been written in of, um, and that's, it's a thing that's still ongoing of the, the idea of like unhinged women books. That's another thing Mm. that, (laughs) Uh, there's a lot of stuff to say but um and and i think because it had some ideas which resonated um to people during lockdown it it, you know it did it did pretty well then um Mm. yeah it became like the book to be seen with even though like people couldn't really see each other during lockdown mm. yeah it became a, a fashion accessory um it kind of it didn't spawn but uh certainly didn't help stop being that whole uh femme cell female manipulator uh unhinged flea bag lady uh aesthetic which yeah not uh i feel bad for all the authors that uh have had that i mean i know eliza who wrote boy parts i don't know if you have you covered boy parts uh, i haven't but I've, I've read it and it's brilliant um Anytime Eliza wants to come on this show, she's welcome. Um, uh, well, she's a, a podcaster herself, so I'm really? not sure she know. would. I didn't know but, that. Um, oh. Okay, I, yeah, I've she. Never... I can't remember what's what her what's her podcast. Oh, it's oh, it's called "You Just Don't Get It, Do You?" It's about um, it's it's a very loose sort of pitch. It's about media that fails to live up to expectations. <laughs> um, well, I should go on there then because I, I consistently fail to live up to expectations. <laughs> but um. Yeah, I, mean, I can't think of other books that have been stuck in them, but but all, it, it, yeah, it, that whole trend is is deeply weird, um, 
I guess it's a a natural evolution of like good for her midsummer core. Um, mm. So, but then after that, I guess last year, last year or two years ago, she released um, "Death in Her Hands," which yeah, I haven't read. Twenty twenty. Um, yeah. And that was that was so she uh, that was a, basically a detective novel. People so, do not like that one, which leads me to think mm. I probably will. But um, yeah, I I think it's one of those ones, kind of like um, fuck it, what's it called, Luna Park by um, Brett Esther Ellis, who um, who's uh, actually had a Tessa Moshfeg on his um, podcast, uh, which I don't listen to because it's Brett Esther Ellis's podcast. <laughs> uh, it's one of those ones where a supposedly literary author tries new things and then no one likes it. Yes. Um, which, which is also the case with um, Lavona. Very much so. And which leads me to believe, I think we've misjudged uh, Artesha Mosfeg as being this, like, li- basically on the basis of my year, my year that um, we think she's this literary novelist who wants to talk about, like, the play of light on a windowsill rather than, like, a, a writer who wants to write books. Kind of like well, King or even Bretas and others and that way. Mm. And she talked about like how quickly she writes and how she's just like pumping out books and how I think Death in Her Hands was written in like three months and she followed some like we we were talking about uh, before the show about about books about how to write a bestseller uh, because Stephen King made one and uh, no no he didn't he didn't make one that's what we're talking about yeah (laughs) yeah she she basically uh, followed one of these like how to write bestseller books to make I think Death in Her Hands that's really interesting and yeah it's it's probably a very good book. Like, so she was trying to sort of write into a well. That this was going to be my take is that um, outside of my own Western relaxation, uh, all the, the the other three novels that she's written um, are genre novels. Uh, Eileen is a noir. Um, Death in Our Hands is a detective story, and Labvona is a it is either historical fiction or it is fantasy, um, depending on how you want to spin it. I'd say it's more fantasy um, because I don't think it's trying to uh, evoke realism, but... Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, literally supernatural things occur in this. Yeah, but never... Interestingly, it's never, you know... It, it's it's always just a little bit. There's always, you know... there's There's one sort of particularly supernatural thing, but it is still... It doesn't feel out there, even if it is out there. Is it someone taking the eyes out of a horse and putting them in their own head and being able to see? Because that's yes, that was <laughs> that. I guess anything involving that—that's sort of as supernatural as the book gets. But there's never, you know, a, a dragon or um, yeah, a fairy. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah, it, it's it's weird supernatural rather than like fantasy Tolkienist supernatural. Mm. Uh, um. There's a previous episode of the show where Eden talked about uh, the different types of magic in books, and this would be the kind of low magic that you'd find in like a um, uh, like a magical realism book. Yeah, it's not like someone in um, Hundred Years of Solitude is going to shoot a fireball. But, yeah, um, well, it's it's sort of the the witch in this is is I think very meant meant to um, evoke the sort of witch that you find in. European folk stories and that th- th- yeah. European folk stories do not have a magic system. You know, there is not a, a give and take or a, a sort of a deep, 
I, I don't get the magic system thing, but maybe that's because I'm not a, a high fantasy author. But um, <laughs> you could have just said autistic. Um, I am autistic. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just don't get the 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 idea of I don't know. I don't get why you need to have a system of magic. I think it's yeah. just, isn't it just magic? I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, I, that was basically Eden's take. Uh, good episode, by the way. Folks at home, go listen to that. Um, he also wrote a good article about it. He was on, like, in Zero Books podcast talking about it. very cool stuff. But um, yeah, it, it it so okay. Let's talk about what happens in this book, um, which is kind of like the le- it, it's not massively plot driven, but um, so uh, it's a there's a medieval village called Lapfona. It's a farming town. Um, Lapfona dirt is good dirt according to the uh, people there. Which has kind of become a tagline for the book almost. Um, mm. There is a kid named Marek. He was um, his mother. <laughs> okay. You're his... already getting into issues of saying what this book is about because it's, I guess, it's about different versions of uh, the same, you know, different, what different characters think. Um... <laughs> yeah. There's. Uh... Most of the characters don't have the whole picture, which is like a really nice, yeah. It's a, it's a pretty standard um, literary trope to have unreliable narrators and have people seeing things from different angles. It's, it's fucking uh, Rashomon. But um, yeah, it, it's handled really well here. And it's, and it, it's kind of, it's not like cerebral. It's like the way a, a soap opera or prestige drama would handle revelations about uh, stories and how one person realizes that well wait i know that person's uh his sister but he's raping her now they've got a child and now the child's disabled and uh, a monster and now he's the king um yeah it's so marek is a uh deformed child who lives in this town he's very pure and innocent he isn't obviously because it's a Natasha Mossig book. Uh, he murders the local lord's son, and the lord, who is easily my favorite character, in this love that guy. Um, the lord is so depraved that he, instead of getting mad at Marek for murdering his son, he like adopts Marek as his own. And um, a good, like the rest of the book is basically the, all the fun you have when you're a medieval lord, and you're also a a child who is deeply bitter at the world. And um, a, a plus there's a witch involved who uh, suckles Merit at her teats um, and is, has like wet nurse the entire village. And uh, she's the, the kind of locus of all the like magic in the book. Uh, she basically becomes, she's like a hundred something years old when mm. it opens. And she kind of gains sustenance, vitality, and de-ages herself uh, through yeah, breastfeeding and smoking weed. Uh, yeah. And there's Merrick's father as well, who is a, oh, yeah. a sheep farmer. Um, he is a deeply religious man. Um, this is, in many ways... Well, there's, there's definitely a strand of this novel that is about... Um, different ideas of, of God. Hmm. Um, Marek's father's idea of God is, is a very harsh God um, involving punishment. Uh, Marek and he 
uh, whip themselves and whip each other. Um, I think, um, and uh, where Marek um, begins to climb the the sort of social class, um, his father is left behind. Um, there's a and there's a drought. Um, so I guess that those are the sort of the three main uh, points. So there's this Marek and his story. Um, there's the witch and there's the father and it's their story about the um, the town as it undergoes the drought. Yeah, um, the, the drought which is caused by the, the Lord. Yes. And his name. Um, William. William, yeah. So, uh, yeah, William has, at the very start of the book, uh, William has basically hired a bunch of uh, bandits to raid the town and they kill a bunch of children and uh, yeah, this Lord is Lord William is uh, yeah utterly depraved character. He's so fun. Um, he's yeah completely horrible, terrible person. But he's also he's having so much fun with it. He's he's just crazy for this. He just loves um, like eating huge feasts and having his servants tell jokes and having. Um, bards come into his castle to sing him to sleep every single day uh yeah he's yeah he's just an utter hedonist and it's really fun to see like what he just does next he's um yeah it's uh and he's ostensibly religious as like everyone is supposed to be at the time he has a, a priest with him who doesn't actually seem to know much about religion is kind of making this shit up as it goes along about like the devil escaping from hell and um, causing lots of badness because uh, he's been locked out and he's kind of running around doing tricks on folks. And um, yeah, and he misquotes the Bible many times and uh, kind of wings wedding vows in a later part of the book. It's yeah, just... Um, there's no redeemable characters. Uh, everyone's a piece of shit. Uh, everyone suffers horribly. Uh, everyone deserves to suffer horribly. There's just shit everywhere. There's just poop just lying around everywhere. There is uh, a. This is a shit heavy. Uh, I think that's one of the. That's a kind of a, a, a <laughs> staple at this point. We, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, not not to put too fine a point in it, but um, she's. This generation's James Joyce in just one aspect. It's not the writing. Um, yeah, there's... Uh, let's just say there's rumours. Um, leave it at that. Uh, but yeah, there's a, a lot of poop in her books. And um, that quote I said earlier, that bone of dirt is good dirt, kind of refers to both the ground that they're growing crops in and also shit, because shit fertilizes that dirt and the the dirt from those people is what you know makes the flowers grow um which you know it seems to be a a theme that uh you know the the waste and disgust and kind of like that uh what kind of bataille would call like the um the like just a gross excess of life is um you know, what makes things happen, good or bad. Uh, but, yeah, so 
you were talking about like how it represents disability because there's a, a lot of different disabled people in here yeah um, i don't i wouldn't say that i am you know i don't know what the the sort of the take to have on disability uh this book range disability is i i thought merrick was an interesting um representation of a of a disabled boy in a um medieval time i guess i guess the whole thing is that most people in in this book are disabled because of the sort of conditions um because of the extreme the extreme heat or the the, the lack of resources um mm. Marek, in in some ways this is very um maybe this is like a a part thing to say but it's 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 deliberately engaging in um tropes that are recurrent in fantasy um of a, a you know a boy who is born uh different um and is is physically different um and is sort of shunned because of that um but sort of the novel it takes that as a starting point but it goes in a very different direction with him mm. um his his disability is sort of fetishized by uh, the lord william um but not not because you know william doesn't respect it or anything william finds it funny finds his disability funny and grotesque and that's partly why he keeps him around um so yeah i i don't really have a a, a coherent take um i was hoping to to see someone and as i said it rather than uh any anyone doing that they just you know publications were like this is like shrek or um put out that that kind of uncharacteristically terrible andrea longshoe profile of moshfag which i think was really unfair um so it's a pity that I haven't really seen much um, sort of engagement on that part, but it is, I guess, Moshfeg is a, is a writer who's very concerned and conscious of the, the human body. Um, and this is a book, the, the playground of the setting, I think allows her to really delve deep into those, um, the extremes of, of concern of the human body. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's it's a time before medicine and re-understanding of like how a body works. So the only the nearest thing they have to a doctor is this witch. Like, yeah, if someone gets hurt in this, they suffer horribly and usually die. Mm. Um, yeah, people choke on things. People people die in just ways that we would find trivial nowadays. Then that was like normal. And um, yeah. It, it, does give her a, like a big canvas just to have this like disgusting, painful world in a way you couldn't do from the 19th century onwards, just because you know medicine had advanced by that point. It's it is kind of the the sort of perfect setting for her concerns. Hmm. Um, oh yeah, yeah. There's there's shit everywhere. Everyone's dying and sick. Uh, people can be needlessly cruel and get away with it because. They just can because they're the Lord. Um, it's, <clears throat> it is, I don't think it's a book with any sort of politics. And, and that's fine. I, she's you know, written essays about how books 
just should not concern themselves with trying to make the reader a better person and yeah, agree. If they if they can do that and still be great art, then fine. If they don't do that and they're great art, then also fine. But um, yeah, it doesn't have a, a moral compass and fine. Uh, I think that's probably the thing that has caused so many you know, bad uh, reviews of this and bad essays on it and bad thinking about it. It's just because, you know, even the book reviewers are still stuck in this kind of Gen X um, anime avatar logic of books are here to tell us how to be good people and they're here to show us good people being good. Um, What's that fucking awful, terrible um, tweet that was from a couple of days ago about, uh, oh yeah, something about like... um, like Adventure Time and a bunch of like Cartoon Network shows uh, show the characters like who are like 14 year old boys uh, being like kind of crappy at times and being not so nice to women and kind of not getting stuff. And that's totally, utterly wrong. And they should never do that. And they should never show a character being not good and then getting better. They should just show a character who's already good and never changes. Um, I I did see that tweet. It's, it's especially weird about Adventure Time, where uh, you can you can I mean you can the, the Adventure Time has issues. I guess it's it feels a bit silly to treat a children's cartoon so seriously, but it, it engages with stuff. Um, but it, it it's very consciously a, a a show that's trying to be about the sort of character development and of of a of a young boy. Um, yeah. it's it's oh, that's so weird. Yeah. I, I, I just didn't. I don't engage with bad tweets like that anymore. I think it's. I know. I I, I need to stop. I need to just give up. On... I I need to quit Twitter. That's what I need to do. That's that's my big pile of shit. I keep rolling around it. <laughs> well, I've I've managed to avoid anyone. Well, I'm I'm sure they have said this about about my book, but um, if they have, I haven't particularly seen it. Um. But it is, it's, I, I'm obviously quite defensive when I do see people doing it because I am like, if they do that to, you know, another writer, they they could do that to me. Um, but it's, it's, it's especially weird going to a book sort of knowing that, that the this is the writer's um, outlook and the way she, she, sort of constructs characters and then still getting like like she's written books before this isn't like the first book she's ever written it's like you're going to this still expect what you're going to this expecting for a you know moral condemnation of of marek for killing you know two different children like (laughs) what what were you looking into just like scorpion and frog uh thing at this point yeah it's yeah i I, so the one's trying to bully her into writing a, a, a story where nice things happen to good people. Um, also, this criticism is is generally, I'm, I'm sure it is, has been leveled against um, men, but it does seem to generally um, be, you know, aimed at queer and female writers. Um, yeah, it, basically, it, it kind of. It kind of circles back to Marek. It's kind mm-hmm. of the idea that if, if bad things happen to you, then 
if you're a good person and which you should be then you'll learn from those bad things happening to you and then therefore become a good person so if you're so Marek should be a good and kind person because he's disabled Um, but what the hell he's thrown a kid off a cliff yeah which is you know it's intentionally a a, I I think a lot of this book is sort of intentionally doing interesting subversions I I think that's one that the in in the cliche, the the sort of, the young disabled boy who's who's suffering under the hand of an abusive father, um, he is is the hero, and you know he is is the one who. Yeah, he he's he like in most. I'm I'm literally looking at uh, the Assassin's Apprentice by Robin Hobb right now, mm. and that starts off. It's a fantasy book. I didn't buy it myself. It was bought for me. Um, and that starts off with a kid, kind of Marek's age. He was um, thrown out by the king, and he's like the heir to the kingdom, and he's grown up, and he's in, raised by an abusive uh, guy who thinks he's his dad. And but his inner goodness from all this suffering shines through, and eventually he probably I don't know becomes a king or something. I don't know. There's probably like fifty of these books in a series, and they're all terrible. Mm. Um, yeah, that's what Marek is supposed to do in these stories, and he doesn't. And that's totally fine. And and the um, a terrible character named Z, the witch lady, uh, she she's supposed to be a, a, a feminist hero. You know, mm. With her daughters, the witches she didn't burn, and she's one of the witches didn't didn't get burned. So she is a she's supposed to be you know, doing this like destroying the patriarchy with her um, traditional folk uh, healing magic. But no, she's actually a, a horrible monster, and um, she's like. A good argument for burning witches at the stake. <laughs> I mean, she's what people thought witches were. Um, William, William is interesting because, in a lot of ways, he is the he is, I guess, of the the sort of character type that say, um, you know, Game of Thrones, like Ramsay Bolton and the other, yeah, the other like evil boy uh, um, in Game of Thrones. Oh, what's his name? Um, Joffrey. Joffrey, yeah. Yeah, yeah he is very much like that character type. Mm. Um, but he's I mean, also, you know... Is kind of like, like, like Joffrey is, a, is straight up, and Ramsay is straight up sadist, but um, William is like polymorphously perverse. Like everything gives him pleasure, like mm. um, including sadist. Also like hearing a nice lullaby. He, he's, he's like an utter hedonist in every single way. Everything gives him pleasure. I think, like, isn't there things like he'll, he'll like, at one point he sticks a grape up his ass and... Eats. Yeah, he he makes, I think he makes Marek stick a grape up his ass and then throw the grape into the servant girl's mouth. Yeah. I think it's that. I, I did sort of, I was struggling with that just because I was like, this is like actually very horrible. Um, yeah. But... Uh, yeah, he, he, the, the interesting thing with William is that he's a character type with his, um, I guess, gluttony and hoarding. He is a character type that in lesser stories would, I think, be cast as a fat man. And it's very, and Moshfeg does an intentional swerve where William is actually sort of skinny and not particularly physically imposing. Um, yeah. Which well, is initiated, like like all the food he's putting in him is going nowhere. Yeah, um, which is the, I mean that's the whole the whole thing is he's he has kind of as much as you could have in 
this setting and you know his whole he doesn't know what to do with it and his body doesn't know what to do with it he's just you know wasting away and sort of pathetically yeah. um he's he's kind of like a um uh like a hungry ghost in tibetan law where mm-hmm. they just they'll just eat and eat and eat they they can never not be uh hungry like he he, he just keeps going and keeps going even his body doesn't register the sheer amount of stuff that's been put in um and a, 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 again a a lesser writer would would i guess make him a trump right oh um, yeah which I think is, I wonder if that is the joke that Moshfeg's doing, right? Is that, that a character like this sort of should be a Trump. Um, it, it, and in books like this that are being read, written now is a, a Trump, but but she's, that's not what she's interested in. Mm. Um, so, you know, he's not, you know, this isn't as clear as that. And it's not, you know, it's not a parable or a, a one note. I don't know. Do you remember Dave Eggers wrote that? Wrote like a whole Trump thing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I had a a long time back. Uh, I think obviously twenty sixteen. I did a spate of reading Trump books, uh, both on this show and just in real life. Mm. Uh, just for an article that came out in oh yeah, Commune magazine, which then folded. Uh, yay, Commune magazine. Um, but. Yeah, there, there was like a spate of terrible, terrible Trump books by authors who really should know better. Um, the one... was, he wrote, Dave Eggers wrote a book called The Captain and the Glory, which came out in 2019. Uh, um, I hate Dave Eggers, just putting that out there. He's really bad. <laughs> I've always hated Dave Eggers. Like, even um, we had to read what, uh, a heartbreaking work of Staggering Genius at school. Like, like university, mm. that was the 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 professor trying to put on, on a, like a cool new book that the kids are into, and um, everyone fucking hated it and just thought it was flat. <laughs> it was like, why are we reading this idiot? I'm so glad his parents are dead. <laughs> I wish he had more parents just so they could die some more. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, um, yeah, fucking. Yeah, that whole mid uh, turn of the century twee new sincerity thing. Um, I'm glad that writers like Otesh Mosfeg exist to like, be a, a finally push back on that. Well, and, well Trump and, sort of the the in America the thing that that uh, drove so many writers completely off the deep end was Trump, and in in, in England. Um, I guess the two things that drove so many writers off the deep end are a a sort of combination of Brexit and trans people existing. Hmm. Um, So the, the plus of someone who is sort of deliberately making work, which doesn't engage. And and I say this as a writer who obviously does, you know, maybe engages too much in in politics in her work. The the plus of a writer like Moshfeg, who, who is intentionally writing almost in a box is that she doesn't let those things you know she, I, I can't see Moshfeg getting driven insane by Trump or, or a Trump-like figure you know uh, she's not gonna you know we're not gonna have 
what happened to Ian McEwan happened to her. Ah, <laughs> um, oh, his last book was so bad. Um, <laughs> I wanted the robot. Oh. Yeah, well, the one before that was the Brexit one, and that was the one that was about a baby as well. Um, oh, the, the and fetus. That was also bad. And it was the fetus was really mad about like um, cancel culture. And yeah. Stuff. yeah. Fet- fetuses do be like that, though. That's why we've got to kill them. And, um, <laughs> Okay, so we're about up to halfway, so I'm going to just take a little break on that note of uh, fetal genocide and um, play a you song. You have some good, some good metal about, I'm sure there's a good amount of metal about fetal genocide. Uh, no, actually, no, no one's even mentioned it. Yeah, of course there is. Fucking last Cannibal <laughs> Corpse album had a baby getting bitten in half on the cover. Um, and, and that's like from oh, a yeah. Like Cannibal Corpse are, are just nice guys now, but they, they still love Corpse. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to play a song by a band called Funeral Chic um, I know nothing about them uh, they may be huge they may be awful people in real life I don't know uh, it's a song called Roman Candle off the album same name and the reason I'm playing this is because it sounds like what would happen if uh, Turbo Negro sold other instruments for heroin and then ha- stole white zombies instruments and started playing Turbo Negro songs on white zombie instruments. Um, and that's just, that's always going to be by shit. That sounds pretty good. I, I only understood about half of those words, but. Okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I slur. Um, my, my tongue is way too big for my mouth. So, um, yeah, Funeral Chic, Roman Candle. Um, it's like a, a three minute pop rock banger that with like some crunchy guitar sounds you don't really hear for the last 20 years which yeah and and it reminds me of white zombie and i want to be reminded of white zombie a lot more often i should get like a tattoo or something that reminds me of what a great album astro creep 2000 was uh so here is roman candle by funeral chic
so we'll we'll kind of um, uh, put a tie ribbon on Atesha Mosfeg and then um, talk about morbid obsessions and maybe we can even talk a little about brainworms because that's that's in there as well. I I honestly have more to say about brainworms than I have to say about morbid obsessions, but that's okay. we'll, morbid we'll obsessions. I guess will speak for itself, but I'll, I'll talk about it. But um... okay, cool. So that was Funeral Chic playing Roman Candle. Um, like I say, you don't hear that guitar sound anymore. What happened to it? Did they stop making the pedal that makes it? I don't know. Um, email us, uh, podcast gmail.com if you know where we can find that guitar pedal. So I can just do like a... Just keep going. Um, so Alison Runfit's still here. We're still talking about that Vona. Um yeah. So one of the things I saw a few times in the the bad reviews of Lapvona was um, people were kind of obliquely kind of sideways coming at the idea that maybe, maybe Otesh Mosveg is actually a conservative. And uh, maybe I, she's yeah. one of these like, uh, trad um, red scare girls who's like, we'll do a, a key bump every 18 minutes, but it's also a pre-Vatican II Catholic. Um, and there was like little little hints and little uh, little drops in the uh, articles. They would, they would never say it outright that they think that she's conservative in her outlook or even fascist in her outlook. But uh, they'll, they'll leave little hints because they're cowards and they don't really say stuff to people's that was, faces. That was definitely the sort of, the subtext of the Andrea Longshoe piece was hmm. that there was, I guess, you know, I mean, she was basically, yeah, she was implying that there was something fascistic about Moshe's work, but without really, there was never any evidence for it beyond the fact that sometimes characters in her books use slurs, um, hmm. yeah. which I don't think is, is I, that's definitely not enough uh Evidence. Yeah, you, you can't go to like the Nuremberg trials with sometimes they say the arsler. Yeah, and again, it's it's not Moshfeg saying the arsler. It's it's you know characters in her work. Um, yeah, I, I would have thought like Andrea Longchu, who's had written some intelligent stuff at times, had, would would have got the whole characters are not mouthpieces for their writer thing. Yeah, you know, like, I think she got too high on her. Um, on dis- destroying Hanya Yanagera, that that uh, she wanted to do it again without without as a uh, as much sort of to say. Yeah. Um, that that one was good though. I like that uh, the the one where she uh, ripped apart that that lady from Hawaii. Yeah, that was that was a good one. But um, yeah, the, yeah, like if the things feel a bit insubstantial and they feel very much like liberals. Mm. I'm going to start sounding like I'm on Red Skin now, like PMC liberals, the kind of people who get to write prestige uh, reviews in big, in you know, New York Times, etc. Um, yeah. They feel like, oh, she she isn't doing what we want her to do. Therefore, she must be doing the exact opposite of what we, we want to do, because there is only us and there is people who are wrong because they say the wrong words and are ultimately ontologically evil people. And, you know, it, it can't be that she's just gone off on her own direction and is doing her own thing. And it may be not as close to you as you would have liked it to be, but it's still not 
on the complete other side of the political spectrum. Oh, yeah, so, I, I don't need Moshevik to be a, a Marxist. You know, I don't think she is, but she she could she could well be for all I know. The only thing is that generally Marxists will, will tell you. Oh yeah, um, but they're also I, fascists I, I, will generally tell you if they're fascists. So. Oh yeah, yeah. There's been very few secret fascists in books. I mean, look at fucking um, what's her name, uh, lady who did. Um, we need to talk about Kevin. Like, oh yeah. Never stopped talking about how much of a Nazi she is. Mm. She can't like do anything else because that's the brain worms. Uh, hint for later. Yeah, you uh, <laughs> and uh, they make you. And this is especially true of turfs. You can never talk about anything else ever again. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting how that because because then when there are things that are really related to the subject matter, they can only ever talk about it. You know, by trying to make it about. The subject matter that they are obsessed with. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, um, we really saw that in force in uh, the whole Roe v. Wade thing. Yeah, yeah. Whether they're really conspicuously not talking about it, like uh, J.K. Rowling, or they're saying that somehow, let's see if I can try to get this right. So, because we redefined what a woman is, we actually didn't, but um, that now that's made right wing American Christians want to not stop abortions because somehow that's got something to do with the definition of the word it, it's yeah it, it's not good thinking no but, it's uh as as as, as you might say uh, these people have morbid obsessions oh that is a that's a real I thought you were segue say, for you. <laughs> you uh, um i thought you were going to quote um what's the name from uh, Red Scare, when she told that uh, Infowars person that she had brainworms. But um, that is a, a cue to talk about the next thing. Um, but, yeah, to leave off that phone by saying it's actually a good book and it's fun and it's easy to read and you'd like it and don't get put off by all the silly things people have uh, said about it and have said about Atessa Moshveg. Oh, you know what? Uh, one thing is. There was there was a whole discourse that's like oh it's like so depraved it's like Salo it's not like Salo like there's there's like a couple gross sequences and there's one kind of gory bit um, yeah. it's it's not you know it's not <laughs> it's not you know there's not Salo kind of level low level grossness yeah, yeah. well there, there's a bit there's bits where it's peak and it is a little like tough to read but it, this isn't Dennis Cooper you know this isn't yeah. I say that I I just read the the sluts, so I I know I know grossness when I see it, and it is oh, the yeah. the castration scene in the sluts. Yeah. Oh, oh, he he does worse. Um, but yeah, it, it, yeah. People, I I think people haven't really read really gross stuff like Dennis Cooper or like um, uh, Samuel Delaney's uh, books where he started going all gross out in the nineties mm. or or um, shit, your book. Like, like your book pisses all over this in terms of grossness. Um, well, you know, I, like, <laughs> I try my best. Yeah, which it should because it's a horror book. That's what it's there for. Or, mm. or Manhunt or a million different things. Um, you know, I, I think the people who read literary fiction kind of don't know what's out there. And they're, they're, they're happy on their little passive island of ignorance. In where... Much in the same way as, I guess, book talk. Um... Oh yeah, which had a, a very similar reaction to this. Um, occasionally, horror sort of blends over because um, Eric Larocca's novella 
things have gotten worse since we last spoke um sort of made its way over there and it, it did very well and it's it did basically went viral but there was a lot of i guess shock how depraved that that story was when it was you know i think it's a great story i'm not sure it was you know particularly <laughs> depraved um where were we morbid obsessions that was where we were yeah. so you've got a a new book out uh, called morbid obsessions it's not fiction um like you better explain it um so yeah it's me and a um writer called frankie mirren who wrote a wonderful uh book called the service um <clears throat> the service is about uh sex work it's a very contemporary um look at sex work but it's also a really good novel and a really good story um it's not it's not <clears throat> i think it, it would pair well with with something like revolting prostitutes but it is a novel that has a compelling plot as well um whereas so i think if if you should it, it's probably worth reading both those books in in tandem but um the service came out last year i really loved it um <clears throat> frankie and i basically uh were talking and realized that we had both written books uh, featuring characters that would hate us. Um, one of the the three protagonists of the service is a swerf. You know, she's she's basically a you know a guardian columnist swerf, sort of campaigning against against sex sex work, um, and she gets really obsessed with the idea of campaigning against sex robots in particular. Um, <clears throat> And obviously in my novel, there's there's a tough main character. So um, we were, I guess, interested in why we were both drawn to the idea of writing about people that would hate us. Um, and this idea ballooned and it became an email thread. And then the email thread has been sort of adapted and expanded into, um, yeah, this uh, non sort of small nonfiction book. Um, it also has... An introduction by Morgan M. Page, and it has um, two pieces of fiction by me and by Frankie. Um, there might be some other stuff in there as well um, that I can't disclose because we haven't decided yet. But um, that is what we've decided specifically is in there so far. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's the sort of conversation, um, and then these these two pieces of fiction which which contribute. So not to give the whole thing away, but why why did you write? Why did you both write about people who hate you, and and so well? I might add in your. I haven't read the service, but I'm sure she's very good. Um, I've, we, I guess we sort of decided that it's it's almost a survival thing, right? It's you do need to know about the people that hate you, but I think both of our conclusion sort of landed around questioning whether we were perhaps wrong in in this like that the you know the morbid obsessions of of the book's title is perhaps has two meanings it's both about people's morbid obsessions with us and then our morbid obsession with them in turn and whether it is actually a little bit the the extent with which we found ourselves obsessed with like going on on with me going on mum's net and with frankie going on um client forums and stuff like that um 
it was the the extent at which we were doing that was was maybe harming ourselves um and perhaps our energy could be better served doing other things um and uh thinking more be more forward thinking i suppose um i guess there's a, there's a healthy balance between knowing what the people who hate you are doing and what the threat they pose is and thinking about them constantly so that it ruins your every waking moment um in in the same way that they you know think about us constantly and it it ruins their every i mean i think in a way i'm glad that you know jk rowling never has a day where she doesn't get depressed you know um she has so much money but she, because she can't stop thinking about how much she hates trans people her in every single moment is ruined because she mm. hates us so much but yeah. um it's 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 not healthy to to you know to fixate so much on that perhaps um i was kind of thinking about like um the whole true crime discourse how like mostly cis women will be my wife, for example, is always listening to true crime podcasts. I, I will like talk to her and then she won't reply and all because she's got her ear pods in listening to a true crime podcast constantly. Um, yeah. And women be shopping. Um, <laughs> have you ever felt, um, ha- have you ever sort of tried to get into any true crime to sort of. Kind of. I, yeah. I mean, th- there's, there's stuff that gets, that is true crime, but doesn't get called true crime like yeah. um, the book uh chaos was about the manson murders it was 100 mm. percent true crime novel but no one's going to put it in the true crime category it's not going to be like reference on my favorite murder or anything but it's 100 percent true crime novel a book rather than, uh, it's brilliant highly recommended i i loved it absolutely <clears throat> flew through it i i like a lot of true crime stuff i like a lot of like conspiracies and ufo stuff it's kind of in the same mm. retelling mode um but i mean when when i read it it's i imagine it's a very different feeling than a a cis woman who could potentially be murdered by people i obviously yeah cis men get murdered too but yeah overwhelmingly serial killers target a certain type of person and yeah and if i was if i was to read uh mum's net or uh these client forums then you know i can I can certainly try to empathize with um, uh, trans people and sex workers, but I, I can't put myself in there. I don't know exactly what it is. Like I, I spent most of my twenties reading neo-Nazi uh, forums and books and stuff. Mm. And uh, you know, th- that's the nearest I can get to that. Um, and, and in doing that, you do, you do understand, right? You, you do get a, a sense of why, these people think like this, but you, you can only ever know so much. And there's a point where you, you do start to go like, okay, maybe I'm like, I'm doing this too much. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you always hit a wall because people can't it, even, you know, right wingers are famously not canny about stuff and they're very unreflective and they drop hints as to what their real motivations are without knowing it all the time. But they, they still are human beings who, who, by their nature, don't really know what their own thoughts are and why they do the things they do. 
you know so you can yeah you, you'll hit a wall where you you're just okay this i can't tell what why this person is doing what they're doing because they can't tell even if they sat down with a therapist for the next 10 years they would never be able to tell anyone because mm-hmm. humans just don't work like that and it, it, that's kind of hyper vigilance that you get as a um as a as, as a person who people want to kill as a member of a demographic that would be slaughtered wholesale uh, if certain people had their way that's the hypervigilance can you know, it will serve you to, up to a point where you're like you know if you're in a toilet in a pub and someone's looking at you funny then are they going to gay bash you or are they just admiring you who knows um then yeah that can that could be a good defense mechanism but it can also yeah make you so hyper vigilant that i mean for i mean just for example like the idea of cancel culture came out of trans women online uh, canceling each other for minor slights microgrades mm. probably because everyone's like everyone's threat radar is turned up to 11 the whole time yeah and so what should be minor slights or stuff that you'd be like, oh, that, that wasn't cool, you know, say sorry, becomes huge. And um, yeah, that's that's something that happens in every like group of oppressed people. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hard one because you, you can't not do it, but if you do it, you're going to fuck yourself up. That's... Yeah, so yeah, so I guess Morbid Obsessions is about the the... The tension there, and I, I hope we do have some interesting things to say also about about you know current politics and current situations. Um, we're not, neither of us are taking any money from it. Um, they're they're going to to uh, a particular um, uh, group that that puts together grants for for sex workers and artists. Um, I'm 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 excited because I, I've never sort of done anything like this before. Though you know, I'm I'm very new to this whole thing in general. Um, so I'm thing. I'm excited to see. I guess yeah, people people engage with this object and the things we say, and obviously because the book is a a conversation, my hope is that the conversation will then stretch out beyond the book um, with with other voices um replying and responding and and we can sort of you know make this into a a productive discussion if such a thing is still possible which yeah, maybe it is a cultural conversation yeah um <laughs> I, I i'm always interested in i, I want to see some like uh turfs read it i i you don't have to ever read what they say about it but i want to yeah. <laughs> personally for my own morbid obsession trademark uh, you know, yeah. I it's yeah. so it's actually a, I, I'm I'm not you know I'm glad that they that turfs haven't really found me, um, but I was so you know I was so hyper vigilant in a way that when they didn't I was a bit like oh okay I I did all that you know <laughs> you're all hyped up and like self protective and stuff and for nothing um, but. I guess that means that I you want me to go on mom's mum's net. I'll, I'll do like a false account. I'll be like Karen from the home counties. So I'll say, there's this book. It's disgusting. It's <laughs> the worst book I've ever read. Ah, we've all got to like 
go around to Alison Rumford's house and shelter her. Well, the I'm sort of making up for it because the next novel is 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 more extreme, and you know, if if that if they don't if they don't get angry at that one, I'd be I'd be very surprised. Um, maybe they won't still, but okay. Well, my my offer to go on Mum's net still stands. But so. Last time you were here, um, you spoke about the next novel as Brain Worms. Yes. Worms, uh, W-Y-R-M's. Um, so, yeah, t- tell tell us more about Brain Worms, because we got a little bit last time. We know it's about something uh, li- literal Brain Worms, I believe. Yes. Um, it's, it's probably changed a little, because it's, I mean, I had a, I'm, I'm, I'm an annoying writer that, that, um, you know, I, I had a title and I had a concept. Um, and then through writing this and, and rewriting it, I've I've actually the actual sort of core idea of the book is perhaps a little different. It I I don't it, it's still about the internet. Um it's not basically what originally I was trying to write a novel about Twitter and then I realized that Twitter is a really boring subject for yeah. a novel. Um <laughs> So I stopped that. Sorry, have and... you read or, read or seen this uh, new book called The Novelist? Uh, it's just just come out. the 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 writer was actually guest on Red Scare. All things. It's um it's a book about a writer distracting himself by going on Twitter and getting annoyed at cancel culture. Um, it's mm. fucking bullshit. And um, yeah, I hadn't heard about this. Uh... It, it really shows the the dangers of writing about Twitter. Yeah, like Twitter is definitely something that m- most people on it should just leave. Like, yeah, there are very few people who actually should be on Twitter at all. I um, definitely shouldn't be on there. Um, same, same. I, I I really think as as exacerbated my symptoms of ADHD from like a minor little personality quirk to a full on disability. I, I think I've. I, I'm not joking. I think that's Twitter.com that has done that to me. Is changed my grey matter or something to the point where um, I'm just like spiraling. And yeah, again, I don't need to be on there. I've got like 600 of odd followers. Um, uh, occasionally, get, uh, a tweet does numbers. Like maybe once a month, we'll go over a thousand. Maybe once a couple of times a year, we'll go over ten thousand. Uh, I, I know some cool people from there. Um, I've discovered lots of cool stuff and I've discovered your book from there and a load of others. But at the same time, I feel like I'd be much, I'd be a much happier and better person if I just like read the paper in the morning instead of waking up and rolling over and picking up my phone and looking at Twitter. Well, but, but and, well, the issue is, is that if you were to, you know, you're living in the UK, if you wake up and you look at a paper in the morning, you're going to get brain worms anyway, oh, right? Because, because... Yeah. Um, the whole thing is infected, either it is, has infected Britain's newspapers or Britain's newspapers have infected Twitter or there is sort of a, a back and forth perhaps, but it does seem sometimes that all, all news is in some way about what is happening online. Mm. Um, yeah. But there is no news that doesn't in some way take place on the internet. Um, I'm not saying that's, you know, bad. That is just sort of how it is. Um, but what 
essentially what brainworms is about is it is a um about a a trans woman who survives uh a terrorist attack um and so in some ways it is you know slight spoiler for tell me and worthless there is a terrorist attack uh at the end of that novel um so in some ways i am sort of continuing the thought mm-hmm. um brainwebs yeah so she survives a terrorist attack um she uh you know is struggling a little she's like drinking a bit too much and then she meets uh a sort of elusive um i i think there's a term in the in the book uh where she describes them as a them fatale um <laughs> like that and this them fatale uh they they start a relationship but um they are drawn into a strange uh sort of underworld um of of yeah where where people are people have sexual fetishes that are difficult to fulfill safely um <laughs> but which they are, are compelled to fulfill and then this is uh in some way linked to uh a conspiracy is what else i'm trying to be very vague um but I, it's about you know it's about sex and desire and and how difficult it can be to to just sort of be open about your desires with someone um and it's also about i guess living in a, a hostile environment um <laughs> cool like I said, as i said before this sounds cool as fuck um and and, and just to check there will be literal brain worms in it there are literal brain worms yes okay. i'm not entirely i'm not gonna say how they how they come into the proceedings but yeah there are yeah uh, well, they, they through, like the nose or the ear usually well, yeah, actually, yeah, usually, usually noses, I think. I think I, I chose nose because it's, you get more sensation with something going into someone's nose yeah. than going into their ear. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know which one I'd like less. Like, like, I, I, like you can, you can really get your finger up your nose quite far, quite far. And um, you can't really do that in your ear. You get, I get very scared if I have to like poke my finger in my ear particularly far with a you know a little um a cotton yeah, bud and uh yeah i, I wonder like pop my uh ear diaphragm or whatever so i i yeah but both would not be good i can't imagine either would be much fun but uh, yeah i think for pure visceral thing your nose would be yeah that'd be bad it'd mm. be bad um but yeah this sounds fucking cool so, yeah it's there's some things that i I'm excited, you know, I, I think there's there's lots of ideas there and I, I hope that people engage with the the ideas. But there's also just some bits that are so gross that I really I really just can't wait to, to get the reactions of people reading them. Good. Um and if, I if I if it makes someone throw up I won't be happy because you know it's not nice <laughs> throwing up isn't nice, but I'll probably be satisfied. Yeah. You'd feel bad for them, but you'd feel good in yourself that you could that you've got the storytelling skill to be able to do that. Yeah, 
and and you know, I guess the the thing that I I really enjoy about um, the niche I've I've put myself in is that um, I'm doing all these things. I've got all of these ideas, and you know, this like unique way of presenting ideas and and of telling the stories. Um, but if you want to, if you want to engage with the interesting prose and poetic styling and the uh, interesting uh, engagement with politics, then you also need to, you know, read some really gnarly horror. <laughs> um, How I think be? it's it's fun to put people in that position. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, we've talked about on the show before about, like, um, the the kind of shock hypothesis of, like, Shocking music, shocking uh, imagery. The, the film Salo, for example, mm-hmm. um, will show you terrible things, and you'll and the audience will get um, will somehow become sensitized to the p- politics of the film, and they'll they'll be super focused on what the film has to say uh, to the point where they are actually receptive to the message. And it's 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 like a very um, common thing in fiction. Of all kinds, in, and any music, like it, it's it's what punk is. Mm. Um, it, there's like one of the things I think that people don't going back to Atesha Mosveg. Uh, one of the things that people don't like about Atesha Mosveg is she's doing that, but she isn't giving you anything, giving you a, a nice cathartic message at the end. She's not yeah. using any of this shocking imagery to to tell you anything. It is just there to make a cool story that you enjoy reading for 300 pages then you put down um and i i think like both things are totally valid if it's good that's like the the only uh bellwether of this is it good which yeah based on your previous work yeah brainworms is going to be lapvona is it's a good book it's not a great book but um yeah, it's it's good. I'm sure Brainworms would be just as good, probably much better. Yeah, um, you never know. <laughs> I think it's pretty good. The 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 other thing is is that that I've I've become aware of is that I kind of have a a soft streak um, that is again like interesting to to include in in work that has like such extremes. The the thing is 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 yeah, a lot of um. I enjoy like a fair amount of extreme film. I enjoy a fair amount of extreme music and I enjoy a fair amount of extreme literature. Um, my problem with a lot of it is that, you know, like the thing is, is if say August Underground's Mordom was well made, it would, it would be pretty brilliant, but, but it's not well made. It's, it's, you know, it's not directed very well. It's acted really terribly um and you know the effects are you know they're believable but but because the the performances around them aren't they they kind of aren't believable um it's the same in a lot of extreme horror literature that's been um i guess like post splatterpunk so from splatterpunk to now a lot of um extreme horror writing has been kind of it's on one register, and the register is Mr. Oh, right, here's, there's a man. It's Mr. Rape Man. Um, he's going to rape some people, and he's going to skin them alive. 
um and you know and isn't that messed up and uh like the people he's he's raping and killing and probably are like disabled or something you know it, it's often it's that register and it's not an interesting register to me um especially because the writing is is invariably pretty dull um if if someone were to write that book and and you know some people have written that like i guess that book but well written is american psycho right like <laughs> um when you can can write something that's extreme and also present it in an interesting way that's that's when i become really interested um but i feel pretty good because there are a fair amount of people now now we we've uh, kind of done with um minimalism in horror literature now we're done with the um I, that that was the i'm i'm going i nearly named an author and and i'm not going to name an author but that 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 was the sort of what was popular in uh horror literature for a while was fairly you know always oh, this real you know it's that like turn of the screw style stuff um we we're moving away from that and we're moving towards extremity again which is you know that's that's that that past trend was in in response to spartapunk and now we're going back to spartapunk again um and i i think there's a lot of people that are doing extreme writing but are doing it in ways which we haven't seen before um and are really thinking about that so really thinking about the presentation and the way that you can write a story where horrible things happen but that story is appearing to the reader in a way that is unexpected um i think eric larocca is really good at that um i think yeah there's there's there's, there's that's what i'm trying to do as well i guess is mm-hmm. is you know that there, there will be things in this this novel that will might make you feel a bit sick but also at the same time you're here for you know meditations on on what it is to to be someone whose sexuality is informed by their trauma you know or or what it is to be someone who who feels a need to run away and and get somewhere safe and 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 that desire um i don't know if that i kind of was monologuing that but (laughs) i have no idea if any of it made any sense it did, and you're totally allowed to monologue here. Um, if monologuing wasn't good, then I would have to kill Langdon because he just monologues all the time. <laughs> he also just he, he just messaged me on the boys' chat Discord to say, "Hey, Boris Johnson just resigned." Yeah, thanks, dude. I didn't know that. What just now? You got that <laughs> message from him? <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I I should have said that because I, I I try to like keep kayfabe from the uh, staff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You just you just put that. Yeah, I, I have no idea about that. I I this this is totally new to me. Oh, this is crazy. the first time hearing of it. I'm just hearing it just now. Live yeah. reaction. Um, I'm gonna stand up and salute and say that we've compromised Boris Johnson to a permanent end, just like John Cena did that one time. Um, but uh, what was I going? Oh yes, a uh, horror. Um, yeah, horror was like the red-headed stepchild of genres for a long time. Mm. Sci-fi and fantasy had both had their like, oh wait, this is actually great literature moments. And horror never got that. Um, 
it was just like people knew Stephen King, people knew um, yeah, just some crappy mass market airport uh, horror novelists, and that was it. And no one and people kind of thought uh, like uh, Poppy said, Bright and um, what's what's her name? Uh, the other one. Um, there was a few uh, horror authors that kind of broken through a little bit, but no one thought it was great literature or could be. It was just like in its own little thing for so long. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, like, I'm starting to see that change. That's really good. Older horror, right? Like, like people will, will, will think of Hell House as great literature, but, but there is a point where horror becomes a commercial genre in a different way, you know, um, was it Stephen King's fault? It's 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 not necessary. Stephen King was was part of a generation. You know, he wasn't the first to to be doing it. Um, I I guess, but I guess yeah. I guess he because he set a lot of the stylistic trends for a a generation um, in a way that there wasn't a singular science fiction writer or a singular fantasy writer from that generation. Or if there was, then it's also Stephen King, right? Um, he he did sort of define the genre, um, so so it ended up being like, well, James Herbert, he's British Stephen King, right? And mm. and Dean Koontz, he's uh, what if Stephen King was obsessed with magic dogs? Um, and and then you have all of the you know the paperbacks and you know the the Grady Hendrix or whoever was obsessed with. Um, but yeah, I guess horror never had its this is serious literature moment. I don't think it needs to have that um, because you know that's that's all a construction, right? But it, it yeah. I wonder if it is on its way. I don't know because currently what it is is the the books that are horror and also are treated as serious literature are just treated as serious literature, and the horror elements. Um, are basically ignored. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I feel like there is a, the climate is there that a book will, will be, you know, huge. And say, say a book will be about, you know, as successful as my year of rest and relaxation, but it will be a horror novel. Um, and it will be and it will be treated as, as a, a literary sensation. Like I feel like that we could see that happening. Um, I think Shrek could, could probably write it. I would love it if she wrote a horror novel. I think I think I think that would be pretty great. Everywhere and there was poop and it, it was shitting everywhere and there was shit going over the walls. It was coming out of the walls and shit it was like flying everywhere and there was tons of shit. I will say that there is a, a ton of shit in uh, Brainworms. So. Cool. If you're into Atessa Mushfeg's uh, use of shit, then read my next novel. Uh, there's a, a good amount in it. Um, but yeah, we're, I think I'd almost fight it. Because that's happened with horror films recently. So I guess yeah. the stage is, is set for, you know, we're going to have a... Are we going to have a, a hereditary that's, in, you know, in horror literature... I still seen that. Yeah. is pretty interesting. Um I, I know some people, you know. That that director makes people go completely nuts, but um Yeah. 
I've only seen Midsummer. Um, yeah, didn't like. Oh, I, I like Midsummer again. It, it it sent people nuts in both directions in a way that I didn't quite understand. But I I think it's a pretty interesting film. Yeah, um, I wasn't sent nuts by it. I was just like, yeah, I'm not too into this. Yeah, just not feeling it. But um, yeah, everyone else went insane, and I've declared like it, it's really girl boss to um, uh, murder your boyfriend by burning if he gets raped. Um, or they thought that this was the worst thing that's ever happened. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I wonder, I, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of horror books that I know are coming out. I don't think that's going to be, you know, Florence Given has a, a horror novel coming out. I do not. What's, do you know anything about it? Uh, it's, it's kind of a, it's like an influencer, uh, Jacqueline Hyde situation. Oh dear. Um, I'm. I might hate read it. We'll see. I don't really want to buy a copy though. Um. Wow. Yeah. I, I, sorry. I'm gonna try and find more on this, but um, I didn't not know that. Is it called Girl Crush? Yes, yeah. that's the one. Yeah, the clients given Girl Crush. Wow. Yeah. Don't, it. Um, a dark feminist comedy. It's always. It's a Sunday Times bestseller. Wait. Already. Oh, I guess she's a Sunday Nights bestseller. Oh, okay. Right. Like, yeah, 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 sorry, I'm reading the thing wrong. Yeah. Girl yeah, Crush, A Hot Dark Story. That's on the cover. Suffused with jet black humour, the, the brilliant debut novel from the author of Women Don't Owe You Pretty takes the reader on a wild, haunted journey in the world of social media fame and modern womanhood. Uh, again, never write about the internet. I mean, yeah, you know, Brayman's a little bit about the internet, but... but Okay, okay I, I should um, revise it. Never write about it directly. I think what what I'm really excited to see um, in that is that the idea of an influencer trying to write seriously about uh, <laughs> being an influencer... It just sounds kind of delicious to me. I, it's just going to be a disaster, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm kind of interested in this now. I, we may have to talk about it on the show. It's it's coming out in yeah 31 days. It's coming out. You in... could be your your next. Um, you've done like bad discoursey books before. You did Fuck Boy and you did. Um, did yeah. You did that one. Yeah, supermarket. That was it. Yeah, uh, Footboy remains the worst book I've ever written. Someone, someone was uh, who has a very similar taste in books to me was trying to make a case for Fuckboy, and I could see how someone could be like so, um, what's the word, uh, contrarian that you believe Fuckboy is good, but it's actually not good. It's actually really bad, and it's just bad in the way that like someone like pulling your finger so much it breaks is always going to be bad. <laughs> There's no like good part of that. It's just, you've got a broken finger now and you need to go to the hospital. Um, yeah. Okay. Girl crush is on the list now. I've decided I, I'm going to hurt. I'm going to hurt myself. I'm going to make Langton need who are two people who are least likely to understand. They're uh, not going to know who Florence, you're going to have to explain who Florence given is. Or even the concept of an influencer. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's, uh, yeah. I, okay, so this is, um, oh God, she, even, she invents a fake social media app 
never do that in a book. Okay, I, I'm going to admit, I, I think choice. there might be one in uh, in Brainworms, I'm not sure. But the whole point of the one in Brainworms is that no one is using it, um, and it's a it's a place she's working that's a pointless job, so... Okay, that that's, that's fine. <laughs> if you invent, like, a... If you invent, like, a... Uh, a social media app for your book that's like everyone is on uh, social fuck the new um, social media app everyone loves it and it's always explained really badly and you don't really understand it what it actually does or why people are on it um, and that's because writers aren't social media product managers they don't invent social media apps for a living otherwise they would do that and become billionaires well the whole thing with social media is that it doesn't make it like TikTok doesn't make it doesn't make sense that TikTok is popular to me, right? It's 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 been it used to be something else. It used to be for lip syncing, and then it reinvented itself as a replacement for Vine, but it works differently to Vine, and also it's where the entire world happens now. Yeah, <laughs> um, like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, t- TikTok is when I know I'm I've gotten old. Because I'm, I'm in. The, I know I'm in the Twitter generation. I know I, I'll never go on um, TikTok. I'll never be like. I like. There are friends my age who use TikTok and make TikToks, I, and I would just be, yeah, I'd be lost there. In the same way, if I was to like, if I was to tell my parents, like, if I was to show my parents a bunch of dr- drill tweets, they would be just, why is this person stupid? It's, this person doesn't write properly and he spells things wrong. He's just dumb. He's not funny. I once tried to... Um, do you know... Oh, God. See, I'm not going to struggle here. So, uh, are you aware of um, the Tumblr account Fruits of the Ape? I No. Or, I'm, I'm, or, I'm aware of exactly zero Tumblr accounts. Oh, uh, okay. Well, there was basically... There were these people on Tumblr... Okay, maybe it's better to reverse it. Do you know that you know the Twitter account Ape's Mind, where the person roleplays as a monkey oh yeah yeah yeah. um so that that whole deal is is uh taken from people who used to do that on tumblr um and uh someone role played as a tape here and someone role played as a proboscis monkey um i think there was a boar as well there was a whole sort of there was law like because this is how tumblr works is like people had a funny idea and then it became a you know <laughs> a universe and there was a fan wiki for it um, but I once tried to show people just sort of the posts from these people that I found quite funny and it just, they didn't understand what they were even meant to be. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe there is just, you know, maybe you, even within my generation, you know, there are micro gener- parallel generations and some of them yeah, totally. used like, Tumblr I, I, and I some can... of them didn't. Like I, I can't talk to anyone at work about like ninety percent of what I think about um, because it's it would be incomprehensible to them. Like, mm. How how would I explain like drill or uh, Duke Smoochum or just anything or just uh, the concept of a main character on Twitter or, or what any particular main character is doing? Or I think you could explain the the main character idea pretty well, okay. but maybe that's just. Or, or just like writing bald underneath a politician's uh, tweets, and it, that's insulting to them. <laughs> no, one would, no one would get that. I didn't get it, and I do it. 
But um, yeah, that's why the internet is so hard to to write about, and um, because you like Franz Given isn't going to get into that brain space where she can generate something like the ape universe. I think or- the thing is, is maybe maybe she maybe she can. I don't think she will. Like I think all signs point to this this novel of hers being something truly awful, but maybe I'm completely wrong and somehow Florence Given has written a masterpiece of a novel. Um, I hope so. I, I hope. I, I, I hope. Sometimes, you know, I'm... I think Dasha Redscare's film is really good. Strong disagree. But, um, um... A lot of people do. I mm-hmm. I think Dasha Redscare is... is very silly. I think a lot of directors are really. There was actually that was the case they made on um on another podcast. Uh, which one was it? Um, the it's uh, Sean's podcast, but I can't remember the name of it. Life at the Death Factory. Yes, that was that was the case they made on Life at the Death Factory, which was um. She's probably uh, Dasher is probably no more evil than you know, the majority of Hollywood directors. Like David O. Russell, for example, absolutely horrible human being. Yeah, like John Landis, you know, or like but, but the problem is is that Dasha's evil is is it's very it's on a, on the same sphere as us, so we're hyper aware of it. Yeah. Um whereas yeah. even though we all know, you know, what happened with John Landis on the set of the Twilight Zone movie, it's not you know it's not happening around us, whereas yeah. Dasha, you know, she is is a, is right there, um, and she won't go away. And and I, I, it would be good if she did, but she if she won't, um, yeah. she could have a very happy life uh, and career if she did just log off. Um, my she was a a follower of my friend's Instagram account for a while. Um, my friend makes Catholic memes, um, <laughs> and then. When, so Dasha, fault. when Dasha started to, to, you know, become convinced that the Pope wasn't the real Pope, my friend was trying to, I think, maybe believe that she had some sort of sway over Dasha's uh, theological outlook. Um, and and then, you know, she failed, um, which, bless her heart, I find quite funny. <laughs> well, yeah, like I said, like... Again, we, 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 you couldn't make up a character like her. Like, who is going to say, like, okay, uh, so this cute girl dressed as Sailor Moon uh, was on Infowars and being, like, vaguely socialist. Then some cumtown guy, like, imported her to New York and she became a podcaster, but she's also, a, like, minor actress and she also made a horror movie. Like, it, it's also random and disconnected and... None of it makes sense, but it ha- it happened in the real world, so therefore it must make sense. Mm. But it would be it, it would be impossible to write a novel about that, you know. And that is, but yeah. and that's that's what happens on the internet, though. It's a it's a hundred yeah. um, stories like, that nonsensical. Yeah, that, that's why it's like the only two good novels about the internet are um, the Sluts, which you've read, brilliant novel. Uh, and also Doc Snoobreport, which doesn't talk about the internet even for a second. You just... you missed one. There's 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 at least another one, and that is uh, Red Pill by Harry Kunzru. 
I, hmm, I wouldn't call that. That's not, I wouldn't say that was about the internet. I, 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 I like it a lot, but um, it's about the the world post internet, but the world why the internet's happening. But I don't think it's a. I wouldn't say it was about the internet. I think uh, by the emission mostly of the the internet, um, I think it. it the, the 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 way all social relations happen in that novel is basically like the the ones that are happening in the real world, they might as well be happening online. It's was my reading, but um, mm, okay. that's a it's a good novel. I I really like Harry Kunzer yeah. actually. Same same. I, he should be on the show sometime. Um, he's a hurry up and write another book so we can talk to him about something. Um, here's a follower of, of mine and the, and the show. So, yeah, so I'd like to talk to him about stuff because oh. he's a, a good egg. Well, but, hello. Um, <laughs> no, if you're there. Um, yeah, I did like Red Pill a lot. But um, I, I, I stand by what I, I said. What I said as That's, it's fair. I'm, I maybe don't think Dark's New Brewport is, it has as much to say as you do. But um, well, of course, it has stuff to say. It's like a billion um, pages long. It can't not say something. That's true. And maybe I just I found it. I think... It is like gymnastics. It's not like a book, <laughs> you know. It, it's just oh my god, a person did this. Rather than this is a good thing. I'm glad someone did this. Yeah, I have. There's a little. Um, there is a a character in in Rainworms who is a, a housewife who her internal register is is similar uh, to sort of the internal register of Dark's New Report. Um, I don't know if that'll end up in the final version, but it was very funny to write. I hope it does. <laughs> um, you can always always do like deleted scenes in books. Like I don't, I don't know why no one does that. You can just put them at the back of the book. Put some Sometimes books. they they get put online. Um, yeah, exactly. There's a million ways to do it. You got you got Medium. You got Substack. You could do a million different ways to get all your all your drafts and all your stuff out there. Just saying. Novels Sometimes. And- you know, there's Stephen King and Neil Gaiman have both released essentially director's cuts, um, which is it's, it's very strange that then that because like the version of the stand that you can buy now is not the version of the stand that made Stephen King famous. Um, it's a different version. They should do. They should uh, release books like they do video games, where everything is kind of broken, half finished. <laughs> it could just be whole sections where just like uh, this scene is supposed to go here, and you just have to like, oh god, I've got to just skip past this because it's just a load of blank pages. This uh, is just how self-publishing works. <laughs> yeah, and and then you just release patches on the book, and they come in a little packet and with some glue, and you put the page over the broken page. And then you just patch the book as you go along, and yeah, you know, the, the novelization of Cyberpunk twenty twenty seven should just be a, a completely broken book that doesn't really work and has got a load of like missing pieces and spelling errors and uh, continuity errors. And you just over a period of years, you just add stuff into the book until it becomes a vaguely half satisfying okay novel. The fuck boy guy should. Yeah should do that he should be like, he, he a couple um, of years he's... time i want someone to to come up to me and go you know what if you actually like read the news the extra content for Fuckboy, boy <laughs> it actually becomes kind of good yeah it, uh, it's, it's, it's like no man's sky or minecraft or something no like 
who would like Minecraft in like 2005? No one. And it becomes, it gets more stuff, gets more content, and it eventually becomes a fun game for everyone. Yeah, just that's the future of literature is just um, don't try, make crap, and just eventually um, over a period of years force your readers to stick with you until you finally give them something vaguely good. I've I fixed literature now. So I, it's, it's great. I, th- I think definitely the way to fix literature is to make it more capitalism. Um, yeah. More like more like the video game industry. Yeah, video which is the video game industry, which is something that definitely is currently working. Um, yeah, as which uh, you can see, because every video game is 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 getting is getting you know the one all the ones they said were going to get released are being released right now, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, they're, they're definitely not being. Will, will definitely be released in October. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not being delayed March over and over March. again, yeah. forever. Um, the only uh, video games that are released on time and uh, without tons of errors are Japanese games because they will like death march the uh, production team to force them to make the the game complete first time. But because Americans are weak. They don't force people to work twenty-one hour days, seven days a week to finish video games. Um, it just the idea of of someone like dying to bring Mario into being. Yeah. I'm sure it's it's yeah. actually happened, right? But it just it's very funny to me <laughs> that Mario is is a sort of altar that you can sacrifice something on. This is why Japan is the superior culture and will eventually take over the world. Um, they're just having a little. Uh, stop right now because their economy collapsed many years ago has never recovered but you know manga artists will like get kidnapped by their uh, publishers and put in hotel rooms with armed guards forcing them to write the next one piece um, issue like that's the sort of commitment we need i i wish i wish you know i wish that was happening to me because otherwise you know that that's how that's how we get distracted and we end up yeah Writing a book. I, I need someone to, to you know, ha- hang out outside my room with a machete, like, listening to... If they don't hear enough, like, taps on the key, then they're going to come in and wave the machete around. Yeah, that would be so cool. Big, big, like, Yakuza guy. That would be awesome. Anyway, so we... Uh, that's enough discourse for today. Well, we've sold literature, so I don't <laughs> think... I don't actually think you need to do any more episodes of the podcast. No, it, it, it's fine. I'm going to listen to um, Live at the Death Factory. I know that's gone on hiatus, so all podcasts are over now. We've sold yes, podcasting. Pod- we've completed, uh, just like Hegel, we've completed yeah, that's... the world system of knowledge now um, through podcasted. And um, so it's over. Okay, let's just enjoy our lives, touch grass, look at the finance. Um, what's your, what's the, what are you, what's your, what are you playing the, the, the audience out with? Okay, so, um, oh, perfect. I mean, couldn't get more perfect if I tried. Sai, the greatest Japanese black metal band. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, just, I, I didn't even plan that. I literally didn't. Um, so Sai have been around Apsi for ages. Uh, they kind of came about at sort of the same time that, like, you know, people in Norway were being silly and burning churches and so forth. But Sai have kept going. Um, they've They've kind of stuck. They've always been avant-garde but they've gotten so much stranger and more avant-garde as time goes along like this song i'm about to play 
uh, Mayonaka no Kai. Um, it's kind of like loungy, jazzy kind of vibe in there. And they've always had proggy stuff, but it, it, it's just gone weirder and weirder, more, and but at the same time, more abrasive. Um, yeah, there's very, and there's literally no other uh, black metal band that sound like them at all. I mean, for all the crazy permutations of the genre, um, they are the most irreverent. Like, they, they don't give a fuck about black metal. They uh, they will do whatever the hell they want to do. And that's beautiful. That's a, that's really, I love that. Um, yeah, musically becoming a real weeb lately. I've just like, uh, Merzbo's new record is amazing. Uh, uh, Cho, their new record is incredible. Um, Sai are also going to release an incredible record at some point. So, <clears throat> yeah, to play us out, uh, it's Mayo Naka no Kai by Sai um, from Japan. Uh, read Alison's books, plural. Uh, read Tell Me I'm Worthless. It's amazing. One of the best books I've read in absolute years. Uh, but also read Morbid Obsessions when it comes out. And give Lapone a go too. And I would say, give, given that I mentioned it, give uh, The Service by Frankie Marin a go. Because oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I should do that as well. I haven't tried it. Yeah. You, you should do an episode on it. I'm, I very well might. Um, so when is uh, Morbid Obsessions coming out? It is coming out on a day. Uh, hold on. <laughs> when is it? Uh, it's in August. I don't think we have a date yet. Um, but yeah, in August. Um, so wait, that's next month. Yeah, yeah. so it's next month. <laughs> yeah. We'll tweet about it. But um, yeah, so anyway, here's Sai. <laughs>